Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Today is uh, Friday, October the 30th, so it's the last day that I'll be on the air when you have the opportunity to participate in our Pastor Appreciation Month and other really cool things happening in the month of October at MyFaithRadio.com. So just want to highlight that before we move on with some of the headlines of the day. Um, I was uh, reading in my own personal Twitter feed yesterday, uh, friends uh, in particularly in D.C., but in other cities as well, a friend in San Diego, a friend in L.A., uh, a friend in Atlanta, who were posting their own personal pictures of what was happening at their office buildings or buildings on um, the streets where they work in these downtown corridors. And that, uh, I thought, was interesting. In some places, um, the the rationale is, um, well, you know, Halloween is always pretty rowdy, And so um, they are boarding up in anticipation of Halloween. But in reality, um, they're boarding up in anticipation of violence surrounding the United States presidential election next Tuesday. We uh, talked about the riots in Philadelphia yesterday, not uh, expressly related to the election, but um, certainly relevant to those who live in places where the conversation about law and order, the conversation about racial justice, um, the conversation about living peaceably with one another is actually a ballot-leading concern in this election cycle. And so law enforcement agencies from Washington, D.C. to Los Angeles are telling the news media that they are bracing for planned protests, spontaneous demonstrations, and potential rioting, not on Halloween, but on Election Day. Uh, Thousands of people across the country are expected to take to the streets for election demonstrations, but those law enforcement say are going to dovetail and in some places come into direct conflict with racial justice protesters, particularly in places like Philadelphia and Portland. Um, So if the police in your community are telling you to stay at home, please take that seriously, um, not only over this weekend, but obviously in uh, in the early part of next week, I I can't believe I'm having to say that. I really, it is hard for me to imagine I am having to say that in anticipation of the U.S. presidential election in the year 2020, um, people need to be paying attention to the social media feed of their local law enforcement so that you know when a stay-at-home order um, is issued in your community. That That is stunning. That's a stunning place for us to arrive Um In this presidential election cycle, that's actually where I'm going to start my conversation with Matt Hawkins. He's a public theologian. He's the former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He served for a number of years in D.C. I'm going to ask him if it's normal. Is it normal in D.C. for uh, for shops in Georgetown and office buildings along K Street to be boarded up for Halloween? Yeah, I, I think something else is going on. We're going to talk about the election and whether or not people are ready for the violence 
uh, that some are promising. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. now Matt Hawkins. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Matt, hey, welcome back. Good to be back. Yeah. My uh, my theme song, I, I was going to keep I, I keep thinking about changing my walk-on music here, but yeah. Mercy, Mercy, what? Mercy still is applicable <laughs> just about every week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mercy, Mercy, uh, Mercy. Uh, okay, so um, you probably heard me tee this conversation up. Um, there are cities across the country readying themselves um, for violence. Yeah. I, first of all, like that, I think as Americans should give us pause. And then I, I just love for you to tell us. I mean, is it normal for shop fronts to be boarded up in anticipation of Halloween, or you know, something else going on here? No, no, they're they're not. I I appreciate the uh, a little bit of misdirection on the part of uh, uh, officials um, who are trying to probably both prepare but also uh, keep folks calm um, and and not make things worse. Um, so, but no, it is not normal for shops uh, in Washington D.C. to board up for the sake of Halloween. Um, I mean, trick or treating happens and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, particularly in a metro area like D.C. and and such a, I don't know, kind of a metropolitan area. No, uh, Halloween does not get that crazy. So, you know, when we talk about, um, I mean, I, I've been reading about this um, armed black militia, the NFAC, which I won't spell out for people because it has a word in there that is completely inappropriate for Christian radio um, and yeah. life in general, in my view. But, um, you know, that that is a growing movement, at least in um, um, in southern states, Kentucky, Georgia and Louisiana now all have these black armed militias. Um, it is it, it, it does look like uh, a new wave in uh, in terms of what they describe as balancing um, white armed protesters. I got to tell you, when you've got um, militia style military grade equipment and you have an all black force um, and you have an all white force, you know, the conversations about racial tension in the country, um, that, that just looks like that is a very, very dangerous place to be standing. So I, I'd love for it you is. to just yeah. comment on the concept of political violence and then, you know, advocate, obviously, for peacemaking. Yeah, right. Um the uh, those the existence of those kinds of groups are greatly disturbing, and I think America somehow is going to have to figure out how um, to kind of to to deflate those movements uh, in the mid to long term. Uh, right now, for the sake of this election day, um, it's it's good to be wise. Um, but there is some good news. Look, uh, in new data out this week, ninety six percent of Democrats reject violence uh, in a situation where their candidate for president um, claims the election is stolen. 97% of Republicans reject violence if their candidate loses. And that's a good news um, because that's not the perception we get. Um, right. That's exactly right. Media, no, I, right. Yeah. So, so tell us where, where can we find that information? Cause I do think that pe that's the kind of information people want to be able to access. 
Yeah. Um, so we're, we're uh, between now and the election day, we're rolling out over at Matthew59.org. That's Matthew, the numbers 59.org. Uh, we're rolling out a number of resources um, and basically a lot of talking points and, and rhetoric uh, helps that uh, will help Christians uh, and pastors, um, uh, particularly leaders, um, talk about these kind of moments uh, with their folks, because there are some really uh, strategic ways uh, to help. And there are kind of in our own, in our own rhetoric and, and, and kind of humanness of it all. Uh, sometimes we can, we can contribute to the problem uh, with our rhetoric without really even meaning, uh, knowing it. So some of the ways that we can talk about this stuff uh, is try to elevate facts over mis- misinformation, uh, particularly when you're talking about your own local community. Um, because we, we, we talk about violence at a national level, but really this stuff happens locally. And so you're, you're interested in getting local leaders in particular uh, to contribute um, to kind of the mood of, of your locality, right? Uh, elevate facts over misinformation. Try to carefully not inadvertently make violence appear more widespread than it is. Right. So this is this is this is why officials are saying, no, this is just uh, Halloween preparations. Right. Uh, on its face, those those kind of situations uh, m- might not be so believable, but the impulse is right. Uh, you don't want to exaggerate um, violence when it may, may not be happening on the scale uh, that that we perceive it to be. Um, definitely avoid harmful language. We can't ta- be talking about um, our political opponents as you know inhuman, uh, you know animals or herds or you know <laughs> zombies or right. We we need to avoid dehumanizing language. Um, and provide context and details when you know discussing issues around the election. Um, you know, prepare people that some of these elections may take a while for uh, for uh, conclusions to be reached on on the winner, um, and that's okay. We we need if, if it takes days, uh, we need fo- we need it to be accurate and we need it to be peaceful. Um, overwhelmingly, like you like you mentioned, the surveys indicate. Americans want a fair election, and we want a nonviolent election. And uh, when we're talking about violence, uh, if if it does occur, um, be specific, uh, and let's not make it sound more widespread than it than it might be. Okay, Those I might have missed. Kind of I might have missed tips. how to write down point two. So I have elevate facts over misinformation. I have avoid yeah. harmful language. I have prepare to be patient yeah. and peace, peaceful as we await a fair and nonviolent election. The second one was don't inflate, and then I, I didn't write it fast enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't inadvertently don't inflate um, violence. Uh, basically, don't it, don't make violence appear more widespread than it actually is. Yeah, I'm going to um, put don't frankly, inflate news uh, news of violence. Yeah, yeah, that's that's helpful. Yeah. I'm typing this yeah, up yeah. so that I can um, because people are going to ask yeah, me sure. what were Matt's four points because they were really helpful. So um, yeah, yeah. always, um, you know, as always, we love to have like things to help us these mental hooks to actually hang the news on as it comes throughout the day. So let's elevate facts over misinformation. Don't inflate the news of violence um, to be you know greater than it actually is. Avoid harmful language. Like let I mean. Don't dehumanize other people and don't demonize them. Um, And then prepare to be patient and peaceful as we wait for the outcome of a fair and nonviolent election. Matt uh, Hawkins and I are going to be back in just a moment. We've got to take a very brief break. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
Continuing my conversation with Matt Hawkins, we're going to direct you today to Matthew 5, 9. Don't, don't put anything in between the 5 and the 9. Matthew 5, 9 dot org or com. Dot org. Which dot dot org. Matthew 59.org. Um, I am a co-signer of the peacemaking statement and the peacemaking commitment uh, there at Matthew 59.org. Um, other resources are forthcoming as well to equip us for the conversations of the day. Also, um, just to remind you, you might want to go back and listen to my recent conversation with Hunter Baker. One of the comments he made, Matt, and I know you'll appreciate it, um, you know, politics isn't war. It's actually the replacement right. thereof. And we just right. have to have to be mindful of that. Um, as we survey what's happening in the American landscape, um, you know, I'm we're reading headlines like, you know, politics is tearing friends and families apart. I'm also reading headlines about the rise of something called Patriot Churches. I'm looking right now in uh-huh. my Twitter feed at the lieutenant governor of Idaho driving around with a gun and a Bible um, in an armored right. vehicle uh, bearing a flag. Um, I, I just think that the, the conflation of, of Christianity with um, American patriotism, although sometimes attractive, is not helpful in the midst of all of this. It's definitely not attractive, uh, and particularly if you, you've got elected officials uh, or, or one. See I, see, I already did it. Elected officials, I made it exaggerated. Uh, we, there's one elected official, right? That's brandishing this. a Bible and a gun, right? Um, that's a problem. Uh, it's just one, thankfully, right now that 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 we are aware of. But that's not helpful. Um, brandishing a weapon like that uh, around election day as an elected official—that's um, just really, really irresponsible. I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, we've got it's, to recalibrate. It's challenging, right? Because as Christians, yeah. we recognize we have a very distinctive witness, no matter um, who is in the White House, actually, no matter right. what kind of government under which we live, right? I mean, we happen to be incredibly privileged to live under uh, under and in the midst of um, this particular form of government. But if we were Christians yeah. living in a place where this was not the form of government, we would still have a responsibility to authentically be Christians in the midst yeah. of that particular, um, you know, that particular variety of political system. And so I think that what I want to help us do, I want to help, want you and I to help our listeners do, how do I, you know, be appropriately patriotic? I do love my country. This is a presidential election. The flag seems appropriate to be waving. Um, However, um, holding up a Bible alongside the flag is really confusing in terms of our political discourse. Uh, it, it really is. Um, and we need to, as Christians to kind of recalibrate our political uh, en- engagement. Uh, I'm going to start using the term political advancement just because I think uh, engagement has been uh, a little uh, I don't know, militarized. doesn't really hold much weight. It's been militarized a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, we can advance public policy. Uh, as citizens in, in the United States um, without resorting uh, to the kind of behavior that you just uh, uh, just iterated. Um, and we as Christians, number one, uh, we're in the context of a liberal democracy where popular sovereignty means that we collectively are in charge, not, not an emperor. Uh, so you have a situation where we are not merely subjects in the face of a big uh, faceless government or a tyrannical empire. 
we are co-governors with our neighbors. So the people who like we're likely to, uh, you know, dehumanize or speak, you know, treat them as other or treat them less than they're citizens just like us. Right. Uh, and we need to extend them human dignity, uh, just like we expect human dignity to be extended to us. Um, that that ought to shape our engagement and ought to shape how we talk about people. Uh, that ought to, while we advance, um, say issues like uh, the pro life cause, uh, if we you know advancing and protecting religious freedom, we can do that in a way that is sober about say threats legislative threats, legal threats to situations, but we can do it without the hyperbole of, you know, I saw, you know, a dear Christian brother, smart, very influential, do this yesterday on Twitter that uh, indicated uh, a legislation supported by Biden would, you know, uh, presents a grave threat to the religious freedom of traditional Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Uh, Look, there's some problems with those kinds of things, but uh, we also have a 14 win uh, winning streak at the Supreme Court on religious liberty issues. And uh, we have a six, uh, presumably a six, or if at least a five, if not a six person um, uh, major, majority appointed by people who value religious freedom. Uh, and there are all kinds of hurdles. And we will have in two years, uh, even if Biden wins, we'll have uh, another midterm election. And presidents typically lose the House on midterm elections. So this kind of apocalyptic language that we tend to use, uh, we need to ratchet back. Uh, and look, it's so it's so it, interesting that, that you this is this is precisely the conversation that we had at my house. Like I I actually like got yeah. a calendar out and I explained <laughs> in my own house. I I explained exactly what you just explained, which yeah. is you know. If Biden went, I mean, we were looking at the polling information and, you know, we're trying to anticipate reality, you know, the potential reality. And um, and so I laid it out and I'm like, they're like, well, you know, in four years, I'm like, OK, it's really two years. Like, do you really yeah. you're really talking right. about two years? And let's say the Equality Act is what we actually had in view at the time. And if the Equality yeah. Act is not only passed by, uh, you know, by the House and then the Senate and then, you know, concretized into law by the then President Biden. The reality is once those things are implemented and they actually have an impact and an effect in a Christian college or university somewhere or a, or a hospital yeah. or an, then we go to court. And by the yeah. time that works its way up to the Supreme Court, we are at the 2022 um, you know, conversation about who should be in the legislature. And right. you're exactly right. The Equality, the, the Equality Act gets, uh, gets put into effect um, let me tell you, Republicans are going to retake the House in 2022 in measures that the Democrats can't, I mean, their wildest imagination um, wouldn't be able to anticipate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, think, I mean, I, I'm, I guess right I'm like you. I, American, you know, yeah. our system Look, is it, really it, great. Elections has consequences. Yeah. 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 No, I know. All yeah, right. go We're going to try to. We're, uh, let me finish. Yeah. Let, let me finish. Please, your sorry. Sentence. I'm sorry. Uh, our system is really great at um, uh, uh, restraining revolution. Uh, that's that's the reason we have the balance of powers, right? That's the reason why uh, the amendment process is so laborious. Um, it's not to say elections don't have consequences; they do. Uh, it doesn't mean. Uh, I mean, I spent eight years in Washington, uh, you know, it, trying to advance and also fight uh, various forms of legislation. Uh, it's an ongoing process, but it never stops, right? Uh, we we tend to look at these elections as the the end all be all of of our political future, uh, and they're not. They're a big deal. They're important. Uh, we should participate uh, in the way our conscience uh, allows us. Uh, we should be informed. 
Um, but there's there's going to be another election. Uh, and like we said, uh, echoing back to our first conversations, most Americans, we want a free, we want a, a free uh, clear, fair election, uh, and we don't want violence. Amen. Amen. All right. We got to leave it right there. You are so helpful. Thank you for um, helping us think through the concerns and issues of the day. We look forward to ongoing conversation. Hey, everybody, check out Matthew59.org. I am committed to the peacemaking as described there and invite you to um, consider your own commitment to peacemaking in the midst of these very volatile times. Matt Hawkins, thank you so much. Thanks, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. So across the across the world, we have Christian brothers and sisters living in um, extreme persecution. You and I, we are aware of that. Um, once a year, we sort of all as Christians intentionally focus prayerfully on those concerns. It's called the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, um, IDOP, if you're looking for it on social media. Uh, it is scheduled for the first Sunday in November. But there's going to be a lot of churches focused on uh, U.S. political things this coming Sunday. And so our friends at Voice of the Martyrs, which you can find at persecution.com, are kind of extending the scope of the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians and saying, hey, at some point during the month of November, can you and your church engage in this? Would you and your church commit to sometime in the month of November participating in the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians? Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs is with me next. C.S. Lewis once said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. I don't doubt God's ability to bless us. I just wonder how painful it's going to be. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. It's amazing to me how pain brings certain blessings our way. Some only seen in the rearview mirror with time and perspective. My wife, for example, struggled through some agonizing circumstances in her childhood. But because of it, she is wise, compassionate, and has a tireless patience with struggling kids. In my work with teens, I'm often reminded that God doesn't waste pain. He has a purpose for it, and He promises to use every painful passage for His good. As C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. Mark Gregston has more helpful resources for you at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. So I'm excited to be joined today by Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. You can find Todd and Voice of the Martyrs at persecution.com. Todd, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Yeah, it's nice to have you back. So um, I wanted to talk with you specifically this week in the lead up to November, um, because I know that during the month of November, we're emphasizing the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, traditionally, that is the first Sunday in November. We know with the election this year, many churches maybe push it to the second Sunday or the third Sunday, but it is a significant day, and the first thing that persecuted Christians ask us to do is to pray for them. 
And so the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians is sort of uh, the body of Christ answering their request. And it's significant because they know it is happening. Christians in hostile and restricted nations know this is a month when people are praying for us around the world. And that is very meaningful to them. So I'm um, I'm aware, you know, Todd, that we here in the United States are not the only people, obviously, experiencing um, the pandemic. I'm suspecting that our Christian brothers and sisters around the world in places where freedom does not ring, like it rings here in the United States, are are having some particular struggles that we might not be aware of. Can you talk a little bit with us about the particular challenges that our Christian brothers and sisters are facing around the world in these days of COVID-19? Well, there certainly is some problems that they're facing. We know of some countries where when it came time to hand out aid, uh, the Christians had to go to the back of the line. Uh, But let me kind of switch your question and tell you some blessings that our brothers and sisters have found in the midst of COVID. We know of a church in China that, uh, you know, in China they have facial recognition cameras everywhere throughout the country. We know of one particular church that said, hey, right now everyone is wearing masks, the facial recognition cameras don't work as well when everyone's wearing a mask. So let's be more bold about sharing the gospel. Let's go out on the streets. We can do that safely right now. Uh, Another partner of ours in the Middle East who uh, their ministry is discipleship and evangelism, things that happen face-to-face. Their country went into a complete lockdown. No face-to-face meetings were permitted. And they thought, you know, what What's going to happen? What's going to happen to our ministry? Here's what they found. Their connections with people online, including their Facebook page, absolutely skyrocketed. And one of the reasons for that is Muslims who were locked in in their houses without their family around could suddenly ask some spiritual questions. They could suddenly express curiosity about the Bible without facing that embarrassment, without facing that question of, hey, wait a minute, we're Muslim family, you can't do that. So even in the midst of pandemic, and yes, there absolutely has been suffering, uh, our brothers and sisters in hostile and restricted nations have found opportunity in the midst of that to further the ministry of the gospel. Wow. Like, right? I mean, I I think people are going to be absolutely encouraged. I'm willing to hear that, but to hear other stories like that. I get the feeling that what you guys do in the advanced conference, which this year for the first time is going to be virtual. So the if you guys check out persecution.com, one of the things that you'll see there is um, a banner that invites you to the 2020 virtual advanced conference. It's completely free. It's an online event. And you guys have not only a great list of speakers lined up, but my guess is people are going to hear really inspiring stories like the one you just told. Absolutely. That, that's the thing that, that people come comes through in the conference. You know, it's easy for us as, as American believers and as generally pretty comfortable American believers to think, well, if, if somebody's persecuted, they probably feel pretty depressed about that. You know, they're, they're probably pretty beaten down. The reality when you go and sit down with them is, yes, there is suffering, and yes, there is hardship, but there is a sense of God's presence, and there is a sense of, man, I'm on the winning team. Ultimately, my team is going to win, and that's what comes through in the virtual conference is just hearing those stories of, hey, even in the in a prison cell, even when your family turns against you, God is still working, and, and he can still bring about good things from even from our suffering. Okay, so Todd, I just actually filled out the little form. So I didn't realize 
I fill out the form, I click the start button, and the virtual VOM advanced conference starts right now for me. Like, that's so cool. It's That is some instant gratification, man. <laughs> well, you know, you got to keep some people happy. So it, it is available. And like you say, as soon as you register, you have access to the first video. And this is also something that could be shared in a Sunday school class. It could be shared in a Bible study group uh, to kind of watch these stories. And, you know, I think as American Christians, I think every time we hear a story of persecution, the natural response is, okay, what would I do in that situation? How would I respond to that level of persecution? And I think I think that's a great question to ask because it drives us to prayer, it drives us to the Scripture, but it's also a great question to ask in a group of fellow believers and kind of bounce it off of each other and encourage each other to help us grow in our faith together. So for those of you who are listening right now and you heard my conversation with uh, David Aikman on Monday about Bob Fu, Bob is one of the people um, whose story has told himself is featured here in um, Voice of the Martyrs virtual advance conference. So if you want to go and hear that, um, other familiar voices here as well. We've had Peter Jasek on uh, on the show to talk about um, his experience of being imprisoned with ISIS. He is one of the people who tells his story as well. And so let me just encourage you to check it out, persecution.com. Todd Nettleton and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs, you can check out what we're talking about today at persecution.com. Um, all right, Todd, I am a Jesus freak. I have lived long enough. I am old enough to know what that means in terms of our history as evangelicals here in the United States. But my guess is there's a lot of people listening right now who don't remember Jesus freaks as a um, as an album, as an event, or as a movement. So talk about your collaboration, Voice of the Martyrs collaboration with DC Talk. Well, there are a lot of people who look back and really made their first connection with VOM because of a book called Jesus Freaks by DC Talk and the Voice of the Martyrs. It came out in 1999. They sold more than a million copies, and many people point to that as saying, "Way." That's where I sort of discovered persecuted Christians. That's where I first read stories about persecution still happening in our day. There is a brand new edition of the book, revised and updated, because, you know, as you and I know, there have been a lot of persecution stories written since 1999, since the original book came out. And so this new edition contains about 35 percent brand new material, stories that have been lived in the last 20 years of new Jesus freaks, people who were willing to lay down their lives, willing to lay down their comfort, willing to lay down their freedom, rather than deny the name of Christ. So it, it's a book, but it's more than just a book. Talk, talk about, like, this is, this is kind of a, intended to be a movement. It really is intended to be a movement of people inspired by the stories of these Jesus freaks to live out their own Jesus freaks story, to live out their own Jesus freaks experience. And one of the things I'm really excited about with this new edition of the book is uh, we know a lot of people who read the original Jesus freaks in 1999 as uh, maybe a college student or a high school student. And today they are the parent of a college student or a high school student. And so this new book is designed to sort of pass that movement down to this current generation and say, hey, here's what it looks like 
to live 100% sold out for Christ. These are examples. And now walk in their footsteps. So I'm going to talk with you a little bit, Todd, about what we can learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters around the globe and these, you know, these written conversations about the testimonies of Jesus freaks. We have a lot of Christians here in the United States who are anticipating, you know, waking up in a world that is going to potentially be profoundly different depending on who is elected president and depending on the kinds of um, executive orders or um, or things that might happen, uh, the Equality Act, things that might be implemented as a result of, uh, you know, of a different administration. And so can you talk with me about um, what we can learn, what Christians in America can learn from um, from these Jesus freaks about being prepared and a willingness to lose things that we have assumed were a part of um, sort of a blessing under God or God's, you know, protective veil and that's that's maybe not really quite accurate. I love it that you use the word willingness because I think that's the first step is just understanding, you know, it may cost me something to follow Jesus Christ. Our our American Christian experience really hasn't included that for, you know, a long time. And so I think many of us have come to the idea that it will never include that. But the reality is, you know, Jesus said, the world hates me. And if you follow me, the world is going to hate you too. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will endure persecution. So I think that willingness and that understanding, yeah, this, this could be a part of our experience. This could be a part of our children's experience. I think that's the first step. The way to get ready, and I I believe this is making that intention that I will, I am ready, I'm going to get ready, I will sacrifice if I'm called to. And the way to inspire ourselves first is to dive into the scriptures to understand what the Bible really is about suffering. You know, Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you. But he also said, in this world, you will have trouble. But don't worry about that, because I have overcome the world. And so understanding what the Scripture says about suffering, the second way I think we get ready is with the stories, like we've talked about with Jesus Freaks, like we share in the Voice of the Martyrs magazine every month, understanding the stories, reading the stories of people who are going through persecution and are being victorious. That will inspire us, and that will equip us, if if our day comes— that we're ready to stand up and be counted as well. So when I think about, um, you know, the things that we as Christians in this culture might be, uh, need to be prepared to sacrifice, one of them might be, you know, would I still be giving not only to my local church, but to other expressly Christian ministries if I weren't getting a tax uh, deduction for that? Um, Would I uh, still be continuing to support and send my kids to a distinctively Christian school if that's no longer something that is, um, supported um, by tax dollars and or where I can use, let's say, a government voucher. Um, how about foster care and adoption? Are there different ways for us to think about that in terms of the church and the Christian community if if protections for expressly religious foster care and adoption are um, stripped away by the implementation of something like the Equality Act? How about my business as a Christian? How am I going to continue to operate my business? Am I prepared to lose some um, clients? Am I prepared to lose some customers in order to continue to 
um, live and work and function and operate my business as a Christian. Those are going to be some conversations that, well, we ought, we ought to already be having those conversations. But the question of whether or not I am prepared to lose something um, is built upon the foundation that I'm willing to lose it, that I recognize that it's not mine to begin with. I think that's so true, and and I love, again, the idea that we're going to have these conversations. We're going to think about this ahead of time so that, you know, if and when it happens, it's not like we're completely shocked and thrown off, but it's like, oh, yeah, we talked about this. We knew this was a possibility. We got ready, uh, and so when the persecution comes. But the other thing I would encourage people, and I have, uh, I remember interviewing a young lady in China who hosted a house meeting in her home, which is illegal. She knew she could get arrested. She knew she could go to jail for that, and I asked her the question. I said, are you afraid? And she said, I am afraid. And I kind of perked up because that was somewhat of an unusual response among the Christians that I've met. And I, so we kind of explored that a little bit. And after I finished the conversation with her, her pastor, who had helped arrange the interview, he said, you know, she's afraid because she hasn't been arrested yet. She hasn't been through that experience and seen that God will sustain her. God will give her the words to say. God will keep her if she goes through that time. He said, after someone is arrested the first time, they're not afraid anymore because they have seen how God works in the midst of that. So I think that's a comforting thing for those of us who do feel a sense of fear, and we do feel a bit intimidated by the thought of persecution. In that time, God will give us the words to say. God will be with us just as he has promised in the Scripture. Todd, we love what you're doing um, every single day at Voice of the Martyrs. I want people to check out Voice of the Martyrs Radio as well. You can do that at vomradio.net. If you go there this week, then you can hear um, Todd talking about being inspired to live like a Jesus freak, and you can check out the other materials related to this collaboration with DC Talk. Um, And obviously, if you go to persecution.com, you can get all the resources necessary for uh, praying alongside the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, which we're encouraging people to do throughout the month of November. Actually, really every day. I think we should be praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters every day. There you go. We're going to make every day the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, thank you so much. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, we got a couple of minutes here, and so I want to um, circle back around and be a word of encouragement. Uh, Thank you to uh, Kathy, who texted in, just appreciating that we are keeping it all in perspective. Jesus will be on the throne. No matter who is elected president of the United States, Jesus will be on the throne. Lord, um, Lord of all, God will still be God, and God will still have the whole world in his hands. Um, and so we're going to try to keep it all in perspective here. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, now, we have to remember, every time we see a therefore in Scripture, what do we do? What do we ask ourselves? What is the therefore, therefore? So uh, if you if you didn't already have that little mental hook set in your mind, every single time in Scripture you see a therefore, you're going to begin asking yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? So we want to uh, recall and remember what Paul has talked about up to this point in the book of Romans. We want to recognize the reality of who God is and the reality of who we are as 
sinners. We want to recognize the reality of uh, God's holiness and our sinfulness. And we want to recognize um, Jesus as the sure and certain answer to the question. Uh, So, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just pause right there. That's verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. Since we have been justified through faith. So we, we are a different and distinct people because we are a people who have been justified through faith. We, we are no longer a people who do not know God, who have no knowledge of him. And in fact, we are a people who have acknowledged God for who he is, ourselves for who we are as, as people corrupted by sin, in need of a Savior, recognizing Jesus as the Savior, and turning to him. We have been justified through faith. And so what is the result? What does that produce? We have peace with God. We have peace with God. I mean, if if that doesn't make you stand up and say hallelujah, I don't I don't know what will. I don't know what would provoke a hallelujah if it is not the assurance by the very word of God that those who are justified through faith in Jesus Christ have peace with God. Let me tell you, if you got peace with God, you can live at peace with yourself and you can live with peace at other at peace with other people. Yes, even in the midst of, uh, of terrible circumstances, which is, by the way, the context of the conversation here in Romans chapter 5. So uh, spend some time reveling in the reality that since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope never, never is put to shame because God's love has been poured out into the hearts, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There is great and good news this day for you in Jesus Christ. And you are an ambassador of that truth. Friends, we um, who live at peace with God, live at peace with ourselves and peace with others. And we are sent forth to be peacemakers. As James says, to sow peace. So let's go sow some peace today in the world that God so loves. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.